When it comes to beating the enemy's attacks in your life, believe it or not, not much effort is required. I'm serious. Victory really comes down to just one thing. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book, Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience, and I'd love for you to join us all live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central. The website is kylewinkler.org live, and don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. One Sunday morning in my hometown, where I'm originally from in southeast Missouri, everybody was getting together at the church like they typically do. They were out in the lobby talking when all of a sudden, the devil appeared. Everybody ran out, scared, except for one man. One man wasn't afraid. He sat calmly in the back of the church. The devil came up to him, obviously bothered that he wasn't afraid. The devil said, don't you know who I am? The man's like, yeah, I know who you are. The devil says, and aren't you afraid of me? The man says, no, I'm not afraid of you. Like I said, the devil's perturbed. He's used to people being afraid of him. Everybody else had run out. Why not this guy? He says, why aren't you afraid of me? The man says, because I've been married to your sister for the last 25 years. I have good news for you. You don't have to have been married to the devil's sister or the devil's brother, right, ladies, to not be afraid of him. You actually don't need to know much about the devil at all. You need to know more about who you are. You know, who you are is known as your identity. So much of what I teach in this ministry goes back to that, and for good reason, which you're going to see here. Dictionary definition of identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. Well, a main scripture regarding identity is one of my favorites. It's on the t-shirt that I'm wearing even. Is that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. If you've read my book, Shut Up Devil, you know I make a lot about the process from old to new. In theological terms, it's called regeneration. First six letters, what that spells out is what it really does. Who's a good speller here? R-E-G-E-N-E. Regene. We all know that our genes determine so much about us, right? The shape of our eyes, the color of our skin, our hair, some of our personality predispositions. Some of us have skinny genes, others of us a little more loose-fitting. Even your ability to have children is genetic. Did you know that? I bet you didn't know that. It's true. If your parents didn't have children, you won't either. That's a joke, by the way. Think about that a little bit. Some of you, you'll You'll get that later. So much of us is determined by our genes. I've got dad jokes all day long, if you want them. So much about us is determined by our genes. But when we are born again, we are regened with the qualities of God. We get the DNA of God. It's true. 
In Colossians, it says that we are complete with the fullness of God. I say we get designer genes, holy genes. We are turned from unrighteous to righteous, and that's huge enough. We get the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, self-control. The moment you said, Jesus, you got all of that, and I mean you do, you got all of that. You're not just covered in all of that, but it actually becomes who you are. It's an identity change. And there's a familiar passage of Scripture that a lot of us don't usually consider an identity in Christ kind of a passage, but it is. It's the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Most of us think of it as a spiritual warfare passage. And it is that too, yes, but it's the best kind of spiritual warfare, I think. It's what I call identity-based warfare. Let me show you. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So right there, you see that there's nothing that it has to do with your power. Not your willpower, not your mind power, not your physical power. God's power. Then it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand, make note of that word, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We're going to look at his main strategy here in a few minutes. Goes on, verse 12. For we are fighting against in-laws and co-workers and family members. No, it doesn't say that. It says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, although it can seem that way, right? But we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Paul goes on then. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. So one day while I was reading this in the midst of my own battle, I saw it with fresh eyes. You know, God has a way of doing that when you're in the midst of something. You see something like you never saw before. Well, he showed me that that word stand is mentioned three times in three verses here. And he said, Kyle's spiritual warfare is not about having a fight with the devil who's defeated, but it's about standing in the victory of the one who defeated him. That's why Paul then goes on to list six articles of armor that we are to stand in. Not fight for, not beg for, not hope for, not perform for but that we already have to stand in. And each of the six articles represents who Jesus is and who we are in him and what we have in him. A belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, each one of those represent who Jesus is and who we are and what we have in him already. Well, for Christians, since the devil was disarmed at the cross, look it up, Colossians 2, 14 through 15, he was disarmed at the cross. The cross is the place of victory. Since he was disarmed there, he doesn't have any real power to defeat us. He doesn't. 
So his only hope is that he can deceive us into believing that we don't have what God says that we have, into believing that we aren't who God says that we are. So that's how he uses his attacks, threats, lies, accusations. The enemy uses it all to try to knock us off our position. And really, when you think about it, so much of the spiritual battles we face happen between these two little earlobes. The battle is in the mind related to what we believe about our situations, which comes down to really what we believe about ourselves. 1 Peter 5.8 is fascinating when it comes to this. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This verse gives us a few clues about how the enemy works against a Christian. The first clue is his name, devil. In Greek, devil is diabolos. It means slanderer. The enemy is always trying to name call you, to slander your reputation, to convince you that you are who God says that you are. That's what slander is, right? It's to destroy somebody's reputation. He wants you to hold yourself low and shrink back in fear and never think that you're good enough. That's the result of his slander. And the enemy does it in various ways. The past, of course, is a big one that he tries to steal your identity with. The enemy uses it to say you'll always be who you've always been. You'll never overcome that. Of course, present voices do it too. It could be people in your life. It could be the things they say about you or have said about you, or maybe even the voices in your head, the voices of your issues and your struggles, that he all uses to say, this is who you are, therefore, this is your identity. It's all slander. But going back to 1 Peter 5.8, the verse says he prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Here's where things get really revealing. Peter didn't just say this to say this. Back then, lions prowling around weren't something they saw in a zoo or something mythical. They saw them in the wild. Like Peter knew the behaviors of a lion because they saw them in the wild. They were around then. In particular, he knew how a lion hunts. You see, a lion has a small heart and lungs compared to the rest of the size of its body. That affects how it hunts because it doesn't have stamina to last for very long. It gets winded quickly because of it. Again, if you've read my book, Shut Up Devil, then you know what I'm about to say here. It's also what I talked about on the Life Today TV program that I was just on. Because it doesn't have stamina, because it gets winded pretty quickly, it's one of the slowest runners in the animal kingdom. And that, like I said, affects how it hunts. It can't run after its prey at any time because its prey is probably going to outrun it in the long run. So it studies its prey to find out its weakness and what is the opportune time to attack. Then when it determines that time, which is usually a time that the victim doesn't expect it, the lion lunges to go for the head and then to its victim's mouth. A lion kills its victim by suffocation. Well, when you think about it, 
Isn't that how the enemy works in our lives too? As Peter said, like a roaring lion, he studies us, determines our weaknesses, and we all have them. Let's get real, right? We all have them. And then he uses those weaknesses. He goes and attacks us in our minds to get to our mouths. And that's how he steals our life. Let's talk about the mind. You may have heard it said that the mind is the devil's playground. That's where his attacks are first launched. It's where he gets access to our lives. 2 Corinthians 10 says the battle is waged with human reasoning and false arguments. Lies. Which are all against the knowledge of God. Well, the knowledge of God is the knowledge of his goodness, his love, his grace. It's the knowledge of who he is and who you are in him. So into your mind, the enemy whispers his reasoning and arguments, his lies as to what you did, what they said, what you feel, what you fear, how you fell, what all that means about you. And this is how he hooks us. Because usually his evidence is based upon reality. The devil tells the truth in order to deceive us into believing a lie. I know often we say that the devil is a liar, and he is, but he uses little bits of truth to create a lie. You see, he uses reasoning, facts and evidences, arguments, as Paul said, to argue for some hopeless, worst-case scenario about you or your future. And it's so easy for him to do. Let me show you with a riddle here. It's going to illustrate how this works so easily. Now, I know that some of you have heard this before, and if you have, don't give it away. Let all the other kids play along. But listen closely. It's going to really describe how the enemy works in our minds to paint a hopeless future so easily. Here we go. A man left home jogging. He jogged a little ways and turned left. He jogged a little ways and turned left. He jogged a little ways and turned left. Then he jogged back home. When the man got home, there were two masked men there waiting for him. Here's the question. Why did the man leave home jogging and who were the masked men? Don't get away. I'm going to say it one more time. Here we go. A man left home jogging. He jogged a little ways and turned left. He jogged a little ways and turned left. He jogged a little ways and turned left. Then he jogged back home. When the man got home, there were two masked men there waiting for him. Why did the man leave home jogging? And who were the masked men? Now, before I give you the answer, let's review the evidence, the facts that we know. There's a man. He jogs and makes three left turns. He returns home to two men in masks. That is all we know for sure. That's truth. What the mind does, what the devil helps it do, is fill in the gaps usually with a worst-case scenario. Most people, when they hear this, they think the man is running from danger, and then he gets caught in the end. When the truth is that the man is a batter who hit a home run. You see, all it takes is a single word of truth 
to undo an entire narrative that the mind made up based on false interpretation. And that's how it is with the enemy's lies. In our minds, he interprets evidence into worst-case scenarios. Then he goes for your mouth to get you to agree with it. Things like, I am a failure, I am wrong, I am insecure, I am a reject. He knows that you only rise to the level of who you believe you are. So if he can get you to start believing those things, then ultimately affects the rest of you. You've heard me use this quote before. Watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny. So if you start with the thought that I am a failure, then over time it's naturally going to end in failure. What you think about, you bring about. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus made a way for it not to be that way. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, everything old has passed away. All things have become new. Well, five verses later, Paul describes just how all things became new. It's in verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When I was dealing with things in my life, I had been a Christian for years, like a decade, but I wasn't feeling so new. And I said, God, what's up? Why don't I feel like the new person you say that I am? And God showed me that I had only really understood or accepted one part of that verse, which is the first part, my forgiveness, that for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. And yeah, like I said, I had done that. I confessed my sin to Jesus. I was saved. My spirit was sanctified, cleansed, holy made heaven ready. But as far as living goes and affecting my like mind, will, and emotions, I walked away and tried to live righteous by my own effort, really through self-righteousness. And that's where the source of my battle stemmed because I couldn't do it on my own because it was never meant to be done on your own. Remember, it's not in your power. It's in God's power. I needed to accept Jesus' righteousness as my own. The second part of that verse, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Made right are the key words there. That's the identity change. You have to accept that you were made right. It doesn't mean that you no longer sin. It just means that you no longer have an identity based on sin. Paul actually says your sin nature is cut out of you. You're made complete in Christ, which means there's a greater definition for your life. It means your life is defined by Christ. So God told me, 
He said, you need to put on Christ and identify with your new identity. And I said, okay, Lord, well, how do I do that? Well, you do it the same way as you received him with your mind and your mouth. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. Well, you put on the identity of Christ in the same way. You accept it with your mind and your mouth. That is what put on means, actually. When you read through the New Testament, you see that Paul uses the word put on. Some translations use clothe. It's the same word in Greek. It's in duo. It's not a practice or a ritual or a routine. It's not behavior modification. It affects your behaviors in time, yes, but put on simply means to see yourself as having a certain quality or character. It's actually a word in Greek that was used outside of the Bible in Greek literature to describe attributes of characters that were put on people Again, not by their effort, but really as a gift of grace. So here's what I did. I found what Scripture said about me, and I started to get it in me and out of me. Things like, in Christ, I am not a reject. I am accepted. In Christ, I am not a sinner. I am a saint. In Christ, I am not dirty. I am clean. In Christ, I am not messed up. I am God's masterpiece. Those are all scriptural truths that you will find in here. Well, what happened when I started to renew my mind according to God's truth is it canceled all the enemy's mind games and truth started to work its way through me to actually affect my behavior and my thinking and my speaking and through the rest of me. And it's the same for you. It'll be the same for you when you intentionally begin to think on God's truths. Not everything you have to do and fix and don't do. I'm talking about when you think on God's truths about who you are. The devil's lies can't take root. And over time then, you will naturally see transformation from the inside out. As it said, you will start to live holier accidentally than you ever will on purpose. Just as a result of agreeing what God's word says. Your thoughts will change your words, and your words will change your actions, and then your habits, and then your character, and then your life. Effortlessly, really. Now, I want to go back to that verse about the enemy working like a roaring lion. Because when I was writing my book, Shut Up Devil, I really studied this. I wondered if there were some spiritual parallels to what we should do if we're approached by a lion in the wild. And I should have guessed there are. The internet had the answers. Wildlife experts actually give three steps. And I'm not exaggerating these, okay? I'm not making these up to fit my message. They actually say that if a lion approaches you and looks you in the eye, Of course, your heart is going to beat fast. You're going to want to run natural. But actually, that's the last thing that you should do. The experts say step one is to stay calm and think clearly. Ha, right. 
easier said than done. But spiritually speaking, when the enemy threatens, renew your mind with God's word. Get God's word in your mind. Put on peace. Put on Christ. That's where your calm will be found. That's where your peace will be found. Step two, if he starts to roar and the ground shakes, roar back. They say the more you shout, the bigger and more threatening you seem. Well, spiritually speaking, when the enemy starts to launch his accusations, you've got to start to declare the word. Get it out of your mouth. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have loved unconditionally. I am God's masterpiece created for a good plan long before the world began. And then if he still decides to go in for the attack, going back to your mind to get to your mouth, step three, don't cower. They say, stay standing. It's your best chance of victory. They actually say you might be able to knock the wind out of the lion or something. That sounds a little bit far-fetched, but maybe so. But spiritually speaking, it's not far-fetched at all. Standing on God's word is your best position for victory too. Because you can pierce that enemy with the sword of the spirit before his lies ever get into you to go through you. And then not coincidentally. Look what Peter says here. 1 Peter 5.8 we looked at that. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Friend, don't let up, give up, back up, or shut up. Your victory is all founded in standing up. Stand firm in the truths of who God says you are, regardless of how you feel, what you fear, or the ways you fall. Stand firm on the truths of what God says you have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, self-control, righteousness, the heart and the mind of Christ. None of those are qualities you have to fight for, beg for, work for but they are qualities that you already have. As one who is made complete, regened in Christ, don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. Okay, this perspective of spiritual warfare, I guess you could call it, is fairly unique in the world of spiritual warfare. Many teach you how to fight. I teach you how to stand. It's what worked in my life, and I'm only going to give you what's worked for me. And that's why I wrote my book here, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. I begin the book with a chapter about how the enemy prowls like a lion. I go into much greater detail than I could go into in this message. Then, we explore the sneaky way the enemy gets into your mind, and it is sneaky. But we go to then the sure way to kick him out. From there, we shut down the 10 greatest lies that he tries to get into you, 
and I give you truth to shut out those lies using the principles that I taught you at the beginning of the book. So shut up, devil. Silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face is available in paperback, audiobook, or ebook, wherever books are sold. But I'd love to send you a signed paperback copy. And you can order that on my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. That's kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.